Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Enrique Ocampawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Well, a pleasant good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT radio app. We also have a video feed right now on the Twitch app. Eight minutes after 5 o'clock on this Friday, May the 26th of 2023. We've got an hour and 45 minutes of Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming your way tonight. Right here, right around 6.45 for South Bend Cubs baseball as they continue their series against those darn Dayton Dragons at Four Winds Field. Max will have the call for you here on WSBT Radio with the first pitch set for 7.05. Well, great to have you on board this afternoon. Coming up on the program, we will have our hat trick of opening topics in just a couple of moments, the NFL The future of the Cubs and the Reds and Notre Dame baseball are front and center. Later on this hour, our Twitter question of the day, which is Notre Dame football related. We have coming up our sports beat, wings, etc. question, which I posted on Twitter a couple of days ago on my Twitter account at 960 Sports Beat. We're having a little fun with this week's question. If you could have dinner at wings, etc., with one past or present Notre Dame athlete, who would you choose? We will read your responses coming up. And at the end of the segment, I will draw one name for a $50 gift card from our good friends at wings, etc. 
hungry, enjoy award-winning jumbo wings, awesome appetizers, delicious burgers, and a great selection of ice-cold beer at a Wings, etc. grill and pub location near you. In the 6 o'clock hour, we've got Brendan King join the program at 6.05, live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, where he is covering the 500 for WIBC. And, of course, he's also one of the voices of the South Bend Cubs. So we will talk some 500 and Cubs baseball with Brendan in just about one hour. Also, we have our Notre Dame football week in review ready to go right around 620 as we look back at some of our Notre Dame topics this week as we spoke with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football beat reporter Tyler Horka and also recruiting reporter Kyle Kelly. Busy week in recruiting, so we'll have that week in review coming up in about an hour and 10 minutes. We also have some Sizzler to get to, but three of my four Sizzler picks for today posted on Twitter because I wanted to be up front what I was doing because they were involving the Cubs. And, boy, I picked a great day to jump all over the Chicago Cubs as they were no hit for seven innings today. So it didn't go well, to say the least, going 0 for 3. But we'll tell you about my picks coming up in just a little bit. But speaking of that Cub game against the Cincinnati Reds at Wrigley Field today, we almost had a first in the history of Wrigley Field. Today was game number 8,424 that's ever been played at Wrigley Field involving the Chicago Cubs. There had never, ever, ever, ever been a combined no-hitter, which means multiple pitchers that combined to throw a no-hitter over nine innings. Never had it happened before. Well, Hunter Green, the hard-throwing right-hander for Cincinnati, did his part. Six shutout innings, did not allow a base hit. Eduardo Salazar came into the ball game for Cincinnati. He's a 25-year-old right-hander from Venezuela, and he took care of the Cubs 1-2-3 in the seventh. The no-hitter was still alive in the eighth inning, but Chris Morrell, the leadoff hitter, Hit a jam shot single to center field, breaking up the no-hitter. Salazar would then later on give up a base hit to Miles Mastroboni, but the Cubs failed to score, and the Cincinnati Reds ended up shutting out the Cubs today by a score of 9 to nothing. only two base hits for Chicago, while the Reds, they hammered out a season-high 19 base hits. Their season high was set two days ago against St. Louis with 18. They go for 19 knocks today against Cubs pitching, including Justin Steele getting knocked around for the first time in a long time. The left-hander, three and two-thirds innings, 10 hits, five earned runs through 70 pitches in three and two-thirds innings. But when you have a low ERA coming in, it still looks pretty good on the backside of this performance. Steele's ERA is at 2.77, something that is developing. I don't want to call it concerning since he's 25 years old and this is his first go-around in the majors, but there has not been the success of Matt Mervis the way a lot of Cub fans had hoped when he was brought up from AAA Iowa. He had been mashing minor league pitching for a couple of years, including at the start of last year, he was a South Bend Cub. He mashed the Midwest League and moved up to AA pretty quickly. But Matt Mervis now has 60 at-bats in his major league career. He is 12 for 60 
a 200 average, the on-base only at 273. The OPS is not good at 590. Two homers and seven knocked in for Mervis. And you look at his last seven games, including today, he is three for 19 with four walks and six strikeouts, so a 158 average, a 304 on-base percentage, slugging 316, which means his OPS right now, last seven games, 620. So it is a transition to the majors. It's taking Mervis longer than Cub fans were hoping for, but he's 25 years old. He has a great track record in the minors. There is a big step up to the majors. There is no doubt about that. But right now the Cubs are not in necessarily a all-in, go-for-it winning mode. They are a team that's hoping to be ready to win in 2024 or 2025 so they can let him gain experience at the major league level. When you have Miles Masterbota hitting second one day and then Mike Tauschman's hitting third another day, that's a sign that you're not right now in all-win mode a little better than last year. There were a lot of non-winning players on last year's roster. A little better this year, but you've got time. Mervis can go out there, get at-bats, gain experience, work through these struggles without the pressure being sent down. At least I wouldn't think so at this particular time. So Cubs were no hit for seven innings today, but Chris Morrell came through with a single in the eighth inning, but the Cubs fall to the Reds by a final score of nine to nothing. With that, let's get started with our hat trick of opening topics here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from 960 AM WSBT. We begin with a little bit more on the Cubs and the Reds, but this is more about the future of these two NL Central teams. Cincinnati is in an overhaul of their organization right now. They traded away their ace last year. Luis Castillo, the outstanding right-handed pitcher to the Seattle Mariners for a boatload of prospects. And those prospects are growing up very nicely in the minors. So the Reds have a chance to be a, a pretty good team in the near future. But with Cincinnati, how long can they keep those players since they treat themselves like a very small market team? But you take a look at the possibilities for the Cubs and the Reds over the next couple of years, and their growth can be centered around some outfield prospects that these two organizations have, including a 21-year-old Chicago Cubs prospect, Pete Crow Armstrong. He arrived in the Cubs organization in the Javier Baez deal with the New York Mets. Crow Armstrong was passed by by the Chicago Cubs in the draft that year. Crow Armstrong went 19th overall to the New York Mets, a high school kid out of Los Angeles. He was a member of South Bend's championship team last year, got off to a very slow start, but then got rolling, ended up hitting 287 with a 333 on base, nine homers, 34 knocked in. Now we see Pete Crow Armstrong, the number one prospect in the Cubs system at AA Tennessee playing as a 21-year-old. The average age in the Southern League is a little over 23 years old. So he is playing up in age. And Crow Armstrong right now at double A, having a, a solid year. Not spectacular, not lousy, just solid. Hitting 270, the on base at 336, the OPS okay at 
787, four homers, 17 knocked in, and 11 steals and 14 attempts. He is known for being arguably the best fielding outfielder in the minors. This guy has electric speed, which he uses to provide great range in the outfield for right now the Tennessee Smokies. Now we'll have to see, but Crow Armstrong, if he continues to develop as a hitter, you'd have to imagine he would be arriving in Chicago no later than next year. Is he in his plans this year? You know, it's hard to say. You've got Hap, Bellinger, and Suzuki in the outfield right now. Bellinger, of course, on the injured list at the current time, but when you're healthy, those are your three, so you don't want him just getting a couple of bats every week. You want him to fully develop, so that's why I would expect the Cubs to keep Crow Armstrong in the minors unless one of those three outfielders are traded. Then I guess playing time is up for grabs amongst several young players in the Cubs system. Another young Cubs outfielding prospect that could be a factor in the NL Central in the next year or so is Owen Cassie, another member of the South Bend Cubs championship team last year, 20 years old, 6'3", He's at AA Tennessee as well. He's having a tad bit better offensive year than Crow Armstrong, 281 the average, 365 the on-base, the OPS a whopping 928. He's got nine homers, including two in a game this week, 29 knocked in, stolen bases only 205 so far this year. So as you think about the future outfield of the Cubs, this might be a couple of years away, but Crow Armstrong, Cassian, Brennan Davis are three leading candidates. Now you have Suzuki under contract for a few more years. You sign half to an extension. So something's going to have to give. At least now in the National League, you have the designated hitter, which allows you to put into your lineup every day one more position player. And since the Cubs are playing the Reds today, the Reds have maybe the second best overall outfield prospect in the majors right now. Number one is considered to be Jordan Walker of the St. Louis Cardinals, but this guy is on the verge of passing Walker. His name is Ellie De La Cruz, E-L-L-Y. Ellie De La Cruz, he's only 21 years old, but he is 6'5", 200 pounds, and the Reds are really excited about this guy. He's currently at AAA Louisville, hitting 296. He does walk a decent amount on base 355, OPS 898, eight homers, 28 knocked in. And even though he's 6'5", 200, he has stolen nine bases in 14 attempts. So you have some really exciting young bats right now in the minors for some teams in the National League Central. I just mentioned three of those in Crow Armstrong, Cassie, and De La Cruz. You've got Jordan Walker in St. Louis. And then the Milwaukee Brewers have a really, really exciting outfielder as well, Jackson Chorio, who is absolutely blitzing double-A pitching. So there are five really exciting outfield prospects in the National League Central, and by golly, the National League Central needs to upload some offensive talent as this division is overall pretty stinky at this particular time. 
Our next hat trick of opening topic for tonight, another baseball topic. Notre Dame baseball is in action tonight at the ACC Tournament in Durham, North Carolina. Notre Dame, the number eight seed, they already know, win or lose tonight, they will not advance to the ACC Tournament semifinals. Their loss to Pittsburgh ended any hopes. That was an upset loss to the 12 seed, the Pitt Panthers. But tonight's matchup, it does not get any bigger for the Irish. You have to pull out all the stops. You already know you don't have another game in this tournament. Your season is on the line. So I would have to imagine this Irish coaching staff will handle this game like a Game 7 of the World Series. Everybody is available. Pitcher gets into trouble. You waste no time to get somebody else ready. Why is this a Game 7? Because Notre Dame's resume was solid a couple of weeks ago, and now it has holes in it. D1Baseball.com, they have daily projections of the NCAA tournament. Yesterday, Notre Dame was the last team in the field, team number 64. This morning, a new bracket came out, and the Irish were the last team out of the field, team number 65. But here's some good news. You take on the number one ranked team in the country, the number one team of the RPI tonight, and that is Wake Forest. The Demon Deacons are the top team of the country. Many believe they have the best shot to win the national title. A lot of great teams out there. Clemson from the ACC, they were 2-8 and eight at one time in the conference. They have now won 14 in a row and probably will be hosting an NCAA Tournament Regional. They're in the semifinals where they will take on North Carolina, who upset Virginia. So the Irish RPI entering today is not good. It's 55. If you're in the 40s, you're on the bubble. If you're closer to 40, you have a much better chance. 55 is not a good position. I look at the resume, and I'm just shocked that Notre Dame is that close to being in. It doesn't feel like a resume that should be that close to getting in. But the fact is they win tonight. That might push their way into the field of 64. Of course, a lot can happen in these conference tournaments. So, again, it's a pool game for the Irish in the ACC tournament. They will not advance, win or lose. They take on the number one team in the country, and boy, could they use a victory. If they lose, you would have to imagine the season ends a disappointing season that would not result in a tournament bid after going to the College World Series just one year ago. So the Irish will be on the ACC Network tonight at 7 o'clock, taking on the number one team of the country. If the Irish get in, the ACC likely will have nine teams make the NCAA tournament. If the Irish lose tonight, more than likely that number will be eight. And our third and final hat trick of opening topic for tonight comes from the National Football League. One of the premier wide receivers of the last almost decade is up for grabs at the current time. This afternoon, the Arizona Cardinals announced that they had released wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. The Cardinals made a heck of a trade in March of 2020 with the Houston Texans. 
They got Hopkins in a fourth-round pick for running back David Johnson, a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick. That turned out to be a steal. But Hopkins now 30 years old. He was rumored to be a player that Arizona wanted to trade. Reportedly, they wanted a first-round pick. His salary was a major issue. At this point, are his talents regressing at the age of 30? Well, the Cardinals... Couldn't make a deal, so they released their veteran wide receiver today. Team high, $30.75 million cap hit, which ranks tops among wide receivers in the National Football League. By releasing Hopkins at this current time, they save $8.15 million in cap space, but are set to take a dead cap hit of $22.6 million. That means that money can't be used. That's just money that is accounted for in your salary cap for this year. So that's a couple of starters, you could argue, that that money can't be used for. So he's 30 years old, three years in Arizona, 221 catches, 2,696 yards, 17 touchdowns. He missed the first six games of the 22 campaign. Suspended for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. There's always been just a little minor chatter. Hopkins away from the field, but his hands are as good as anybody in the National Football League. ESPN stats and information says that he has the lowest drop rate among wide receivers since 2020, minimum 175 targets. His drop rate, one point. Zero. So if you're the Chicago Bears, are you interested in DeAndre Hopkins? You have the space to bring in a salary like Hopkins. Now he's listed a couple of quarterbacks he wants to play for, and no surprise, kind of the who's who of the NFL. Reportedly, the Chiefs had talked to Hopkins during the offseason, but the money just didn't work out. Can you imagine Hopkins with the Chiefs? Just what Kansas City needs. Holy cow. But if you're the Bears, I don't know if this is a good fit. A 30-year-old veteran wide receiver late in his career, he wants to win. You just don't want one of these, and I'm not sure he's this, so I'm just giving an example. If you're the Bears, you do not want one of those really overwhelming, ego-driven wide receivers to affect the development of your quarterback, Justin Fields. You don't want a guy in his ear all the time saying, throw me the ball, throw me the ball, I'm open. You want him to go through the progressions and make the proper read and not force the football. I would imagine Hopkins is the guy that wants to win now since he's 30 years old and wants the football. I just don't think it's a wonderful fit for Chicago, despite the fact they could really use that wild number one wide receiver. If you're into fantasy football, I'm not sure how much you want of the Arizona offense with Kyler Murray, their quarterback, out until maybe November coming off an ACL. But I guess late in the fantasy draft, if you're looking for a number one wide receiver, I guess it's going to be Marquise Hollywood Brown for Arizona. 67 catches, 709 yards last year. They've got Greg Dorch. They've got the old Boilermaker, Rondale Moore, at 41 catches last year. But not too sure you want one of your starting wide receivers to come from Arizona back up possibly starter no thank you in 2023 so big news from the nfl 
One of the top wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins, released by Arizona, and he is up for grabs. Maybe Buffalo, New England, Kansas City, some of the possible landing spots. I also saw this today in the NFL. I didn't know this was even possible, but I guess he wasn't banned or anything. But former South Bend Clay product, former Raiders head coach, Buccaneers head coach John Gruden, who lost his job over offensive emails a couple of years ago with the Raiders. He has been helping out the New Orleans Saints and their offense, which is now being handled by Derek Carr, the new quarterback of New Orleans, a guy that Gruden worked with in Las Vegas. So John Gruden resurfacing in the National Football League during some training camp time here in May, helping out the New Orleans Saints. 5.30 is our time. Budweiser's weekday sports feed on WSBT Radio. We'll take a timeout. Twitter question of the day is coming up in a couple of moments. At 6.05, we'll head down to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to talk to Brendan King covering the race down in Indianapolis. Also, one of the voices of the South Bend Cubs will talk the greatest spectacle in racing and South Bend Cubs baseball in a couple of moments as Sportsbeat continues. Sports Radio 960 WSBT streaming live at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT Radio app. Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. It is 536 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Great to have you with me on this Friday evening. We've got the Indy 500 coming up this weekend down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We'll head to the Speedway at 6.05 and talking to our longtime friend Brendan King, one of the voices of the South Bend Cubs. So a little racing and baseball talk coming up in about a half an hour here on WSBT Radio. Good luck to all the softball and baseball teams still alive in sectional play, I believe, at Mishawaka's Baker Park tonight is the softball sectional between St. Joe, that great Indian team. My goodness, what a great squad they have with an elite Division I pitcher as a sophomore. That'll win you a lot of softball games. Taking on Laporte. Some good sectional baseball action tomorrow at Northridge. Defending 4A state champion Penn will get a stern test from a really, really good Northridge team that had a couple of Really good battles with Mishawaka during the NL season, losing 2 nothing and one nothing. But I know the ace pitchers of those two teams would be going at it, so I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a, a 3-2, 4-3 type game between Northridge and Penn tomorrow in a sectional semifinal. Down in Plymouth, there are a couple of games tomorrow at 11 a.m. It is Mishawaka at 22-5, taking on Michigan City. And game number two, you've got Plymouth taking on Laporte. So baseball and softball sectionals well underway here in the state of Indiana. And my son was telling me there's a baseball sectional downstate that has five or six state-ranked teams in the same sectional. That is absolutely 
a horrible draw for those teams, but good for everybody else in Class 4A, to say the least, to knock out a lot of good teams and just one team surviving from that sectional. All right, 538 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, each day I like to bring you a Twitter question of the day on my Twitter account at 960 Sports Beat. And on yesterday's program, this is what we went with. The Notre Dame football home schedules with start times was released on Wednesday. What will the Irish's home record be in 2023? Of course, you've got very winnable games against Tennessee State, Central Michigan, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest. Very interesting matchups against Ohio State and USC. We're not counting Navy as a home game. That is over in Dublin. So we're going with the six games at Notre Dame Stadium. What do you think the Irish's record will be in those six contests? Well, here are the results. And by the way, the choices were 6-0, 5-1, 4-2, or 3-3 or worse. So coming in fourth place, not getting a lot of love, fortunately. 1.6% of the vote, 3-3 three three or worse. I have a feeling that might be non-Notre Dame football fans on my Twitter account, my followers that could have been voting there. Coming in third place in the voting, 18% of the vote, 4-2. and two. You would imagine those people are thinking the Irish are going to beat Tennessee State, Central Michigan, Pitt, and Wake Forest, but then lose to Ohio State and USC. What will the Irish home record be in 2023? Second place in the voting at 21.3%. A perfect 6-0 campaign for the Irish. If they are right, with wins over Ohio State and USC, Notre Dame should be right smack dab in the mix for a college playoff berth heading into November. The Ohio State game in September... The USC game, October 14th. So you're in awfully good shape for a playoff run if all of you are correct. But winning the vote, handily, 59% of those who voted, they believe that the Notre Dame football home record this year will be 5-1, which makes sense. Tennessee State, Central Michigan, Pitt, Wake, Forrester wins, and then you split Ohio State and USC. So a lot of belief in this Notre Dame football team. You add up some numbers, and 80.3% who voted believe the Irish will be 5-1 or 6-0. I think 5-1 is a pretty good place to sit at the current time. All right, we appreciate you voting on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Now let's come back with today's Twitter question of the day. From the Power Five schools listed, which will be Notre Dame football's most lopsided win this year? 
Now, I didn't put in Ohio State or USC. If those are the most lopsided wins, I will be happy to say I should have included them. But I'm going with this. From the Power 5 schools listed, which will be Notre Dame football's most lopsided win this year? Four choices, two at home, two on the road. Your first choice is Wake Forest coming to Notre Dame Stadium. Without Sam Hartman, they'll be playing against him. Choice number two, the Pittsburgh Panthers in South Bend with Phil Jerkovic, the old Irish QB and outspoken college football Twitter analyst. Would that be the most lopsided Power 5 win for the Irish? Your other two choices, Notre Dame going to the farm to take on Stanford in a rebuilding mode with a brand-new head coach coming from Sacramento State. And your fourth choice, a trip down to Louisville. So which of these Power 5 games will Notre Dame have their most lopsided win? Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, at Stanford, at Louisville. You can place your vote right now on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSBEAT. That's 960-SPORTSBEAT for our Twitter question of the day. 16 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. More SportsBeat next on WSBT. I see. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is 12 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports Beat continues, brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's, the family in. By Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details and by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Great to be back with you on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Friday evening. My name is Darren Pritchett. And right now we want to take care of a contest that we've been having weekly here on the program. And it is called the Sports Beat Wings Etc. Question on Twitter. Midweek, we always put up a question on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat, and we ask you to reply to that particular post with your answer to the question. And everyone that responds goes into a drawing during Friday's, I guess, revealing of the answers on Sportsbeat. A $50 gift card to Wings, etc. Love hot wings and cold beer. Good food and great times are always on tap at Wings, etc. Grill and Pub with a great selection of ice cold beer. Award-winning jumbo wings and more. Stop by a location near you. All right, we have selected a good majority of the people that took the time to respond to our particular question, which is, if you had the chance to go to dinner at Wings, etc., 
with a past or present Notre Dame athlete, who would you choose? Now, there's a lot to choose from. I wonder, did you factor in you're going to a wings place? And if you're going to go with someone that might eat a lot of wings, is that going to be a negative? Are they going to eat all your wings? But seriously, they've got plenty of wings at wings, etc. So, what do you think? If you had the chance to go out to dinner at Wings, etc., with a past or present Notre Dame athlete, we can throw coaches in there as well, who would you choose? We have a response from Pablo. He says, I initially thought Rockney or Leahy, but given their era, not sure they'd be into Wings. Of course they would be. If they were here with us right now, they would be hammering those Wings, etc. Wings. Thus, I'm going off the beaten path and saying Bob Golick, who I think would have some great stories, played on the 77 championship team. He was in the pros, did some acting, assumes all Golicks enjoy eating. Yeah, if you get Mike Golick Jr., Mike Golick Sr., and Bob Golick at the same wings, etc., boy, oh boy, they better have an extra big supply of wings because they would put on a show. That's a that's a really, really good, well-thought-out person there, Pablo. Greatly appreciate your choice. A couple of people went with this. We have Jim and also Checkmark. They went with Alan Page. You think about one of the great defensive players in Notre Dame history, NFL career, and, of course, just a wonderful gentleman, Minnesota Supreme Court Justice just had such a phenomenal career after football. That would be a fascinating conversation. The football stories, the stories he could tell you about being a justice in the court system, I think that would be a great choice. So, guys, I really, really like that particular pick. We're going through our Wings, etc. Twitter question. If you had the chance to go to dinner with anybody at Wings, etc. from the past or present involving Notre Dame athletics, who would you choose? We have Greg that wrote in, and Greg says, considering the great year he had with the Fighting Irish in 2012 and then all the stuff surrounding him, I would like to sit down and have dinner with Manti Teo. Well, since the Netflix special is out, I think we got most of the story behind the whole catfishing story. It was a well-done documentary on Manti. If you have not seen it, it is worth a watch. It tells a different side of the story. But the football stories, I think, would be pretty good as well. Maybe what could the Irish done different against Alabama in the national championship game? All right. Bobby says, George Gipp, the stories have to be legendary. No doubt about that. Nick says, got to go with Rockney or Leahy, two of the greatest football minds of all time. You know, I had the great pleasure of playing a round of golf in front of Aeroparsegian out at South Bend Country Club and also had the chance to introduce him when he was going into a Hall of Fame here in town. And I was always in awe being around him. So I think Aero would, you know, the late Aeroparsegian would have been a fantastic choice. He just was a really, really special individual. Brian says, I want to have dinner with a former Notre Dame athlete from a big three sport who has a finger on the pulse of today's game. I like the thinking. First choice, Brady Quinn, followed closely by Notre Dame women's basketball coach, Neil Ivey, and the all-time shot block leader 
in Notre Dame basketball history. And now he does outstanding work as a broadcaster on the ACC Network, Jordan Cornette. Robert chimed in and said Jordan Cornette as well. Good to see my guy Jordan getting some love on this particular question. Our Wings, etc. Twitter question brought to you by Wings, etc. Hungry, enjoy award-winning jumbo wings, awesome appetizers, delicious burgers, and a great selection of ice-cold beer at a Wings, etc. Grill and Pub location near you. We've got Jeff chiming in. My choice would be Jerome Bettis. I'm not only a lifelong Notre Dame fan, but also a lifelong Steelers fan. And as a competitive bowler, I actually bowled with Jerome in a pro-am. He is a very accomplished bowler with multiple 300 games. And I think that Jerome was just in town last week and celebrating the brand-new opening of Dick Sporting Goods in Mishawaka. Kay Kenneth goes with George Gipp as well. And also we have, let's see, Tony that chimed in late, and he went with Quentin Nelson. Just watching Q eat the wings. He doesn't have to talk. I just would just sit there and watch him hammer those wings at Wings, etc. Greatly appreciate all the responses to our Wings, etc. Twitter question on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSBEAT. And we held our drawing just a couple of moments ago for the $50 gift card from Wings, etc. And Pablo, we just picked your name. So congratulations. You pick up the $50 gift card to Wings, etc. I'll be in touch with you on Twitter to get your address so we can send you that $50 gift card to Wings, etc. We'll talk some racing and South Bend Cubs baseball with Brendan King in about 10 minutes on WSBT. This can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the app store and Google play. Now back to local sports talk on sports beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. It is six Oh seven on this Friday evening. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues brought to you by Budweiser, Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. South Bend Cubs baseball begins at 6.45 in about 38 minutes here on WSBT Radio. One of the voices of the South Bend Cubs, not at Four Winds Field today. He is at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, where the Indianapolis 500 takes place on Sunday. It was Carb Day today at the old 500, and Brendan King, nice enough to join us for a couple of moments. He's been working on the radio and WIBC down in Indy for Carb Day, and now he joins us for a little racing and baseball talk. Does it get any better than that? Man, uh, this is one of the most fun stretches of the year, DP. I'll tell you, it's uh, first of all, I'm very gracious to the great Chris Hagstrom and the South Bend Cubs for allowing me to come back to Indy for this weekend but also I mean uh, you know this is where the off-season gig that I have in Indy with as you said WIBC and the fan I mean they're gracious enough to have me back and let me do some radio so this is one of the most uh, busiest weeks of the year for sure doing the games uh, the weekdays in South Bend and and back down here for the weekend but it's one of the most fun weeks of the year for sure too. I was looking at the grid for the 500 on Sunday and at least based on qualifying outside of the pole setter, there's a lot of Chevrolets near the front. Is there a team or an engine that you feel like might have the advantage come Sunday? 
Well, I'll give you two, Darren, because as you said, the pole sitter Alex Polo from Chip Ganassi Racing, he is the fastest pole sitter in Indy 500 history a year after his teammate Scott Dixon did the same thing. <laughs> it's been back-to-back years of record-setting pole runs, which I think speaks to the strength of the engines in whatever car you see. Now, Ganassi is a Honda team. They have the defending champ in Marcus Erickson. They got the pole sitter in Polo. Uh, they got arguably the most dominant IndyCar driver of the last decade, Dixon. And then instead of Tony Kanaan, who went to Aero McLaren, that's a Chevy car. We'll talk about them in a sec. Mm-hmm. But they picked up Takuma Sato. And, of course, Sato, a two-time champ, last in 2020 when the, when the speedway was empty due to COVID. Um, and, they, and Sato, he's kind of mixed around teams the last few years. But he's been one of the most consistent drivers at the speedway since you know 2012 or so. So they're a Honda engine, and they have found the speed year after year. But, Darren, I'll tell you what, Aero McLaren, um, they picked up Alexander Rossi, the 2016 champ from Andretti. Uh, they have a couple of young drivers. One name is Pato Award. The other is Felix Rosenquist. And that's where Tony Kanaan went, one of the most beloved drivers in Speedway history. Um, and, you know, this is Kanaan's last ever run, and, and they're Chevy. So I think when you look at both sides of the spectrum, as you said, McLaren's got the power from Chevy. They got the experience bringing in Kanaan. But, man, Ganassi's young and old, uh, and they got Honda, which has been their bread and butter over the last few years. So I think both of those teams have a big, legit shot to win this race. Brandon, if the 500 people in charge could take some truce serum for a moment, and you're speaking for them, if there is a driver that could win on Sunday that would benefit the race and the series the most, who would you choose? Ooh, Well, I think I'm going to be a little bit um, personal here and go sure. Ed Carpenter because he's yeah. actually a Butler grad. And Ed, he's obviously the owner of Ed Carpenter Racing. He's been chasing the Indy 500 for nearly 20 years. Uh, this is going to be – he's in double digits with the number of starts he has. He has a great young driver that goes with him in Renus VK as well as Noblesville native Connor Daly. But, man, Ed is the guy that I think would get the most tears out of the Speedway for sure, and for good reason, because he's been chasing a dream. This is literally all he does anymore, Darren. I mean, he's, a, he's an owner – for 95% of the other IndyCar races. This is, this is his Super Bowl. And if he is able to come away with the win, I mean, I think about the marketing that he's an Indianapolis native. He'd be the first Indianapolis native to win it literally since the 40s. I mean, that, that, that is a marketing scheme right there that would be just incredible for the Speedway as well. You know, again, personal-wise for Butler University, that'd be pretty cool too. He is Brendan King down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway covering the 500 for WIBC and, of course, one of the voices of the South Bend Cubs. What a wacky 24, 48 hours for Graham Rahal. You know, as a kid, I loved Indy. I still love Indy, but I remember Bobby Rahal winning the 500, his dad, and Graham got knocked out of the race and qualifying by a teammate, but now he's back in due to an injury. I mean, the emotions for this poor guy, it has to have been a a really, really rough last week. Yeah, Darren, I was there last week for qualifying, too. And as you said, Jack Harvey, Ray Hall's teammate from Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing. And keep in mind, all four of the Ray Hall cars qualified 30th or worse. Mm. Um, of course, Ray Hall was bumped. And then the one that wasn't in the last row shootout got was involved in a crash on Monday with Stephen Wilson. And you alluded to it well. Graham Ray Hall gets bumped out of the race by his own teammate, Jack Harvey, and Darren, that was a really heavy moment at the Speedway because the gun went 
signifying the last qualifying run of the day. It's Jack Harvey. If he uh, posts a four-lap average better than Graham Rahal, he's in the race. If he doesn't, he's out of the race. Simple as that. Well, his first two laps were not enough, and then somehow on the third lap, Harvey gets a radio from his team in the pit saying, hey, do this, and he posts a third lap where he eclipses Rahal, mm. and the four-lap average ends up beating him by just about uh, one-hundredth of a mile an hour. It was that close. And, you know, Ray Hall gets interviewed after he was a good sport about it. But then he starts, you know, camera goes off of him and clearly starts crying. And uh, you just felt for the guy because he's been terrific. He had a legitimate chance to win the race in 2021. Well, and then the crash happens on Monday in the last 10 minutes of practice involving mm-hmm. Stephen Wilson and Catherine Legg. And, you know, unfortunately for Stephen Wilson from Dreyer and Reinbold Racing, he fractured his 12th vertebrae mm-hmm. and needed to have surgery. That left that dryer and Reinbold racing machine driverless. And of course, like we talked about to start this conversation, Darren dryer and Reinbold is Chevy Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan racing is Honda. So Chevy and Honda come to the table, start negotiating because dryer and Reinbold wants Graham Ray Hall to replace Stephen Wilson and drive that machine on Sunday. Well, they come to a consensus somehow the contract works out and what do you know, mm. Graham Ray Hall is going to start 33rd and drive that 24 car for Dreyer and Reinbold. Crazy. Mm. What is your location for the 500? I will be in the media center, Darren. Um, so I, I'm one of the studio hosts. Nice. So I'll come back and just give some updates. And Yeah, I get to be in the AC, which is good. So you're like Mike Tirico then? Uh, not as cool, but yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Brendan King, my guest from down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Hey, got to ask you a couple of South Bend Cubs questions, if you don't mind. First off, Kate Horton, the number one pick of the Chicago Cubs out of Oklahoma, has now had three starts with the South Bend Cubs, two on the road, and then one against Dayton on this home series. What are your early thoughts? I know the numbers aren't great right now, but your early impressions of this very talented right-hander. Yeah, and, you know, Darren, you did games for a long time, and, you know, it does take some time to transition to pro ball. And, you know, Cade was terrific with Myrtle Beach before he got called up. I mean, his last – his first three starts didn't give up a run in uh, you know, 10 and a third combined innings. So, you know, he came with a high pedigree for sure. That first start at Wisconsin gave up three home runs, probably left a couple balls over the plate. But, again, it's it's about the learning experience. And, you know, so you kind of got to remind yourself with this guy that he's only 21 yeah. still, even though – he pitched so well against Notre Dame, obviously, in the College World Series, and um, he did what he did at Oklahoma. But, yeah, his last start on Wednesday morning, I mean, the strikeout numbers, first of all, season high, career high, eight. Didn't walk anybody, which is awesome to see a young pitcher really able to command. He did give, gave up a couple runs, but came in the same inning. So I think Wednesday was a step in the right direction. We should be seeing a whole lot of success from Kate as we go to the summer. Is his changeup a plus pitch, a strikeout pitch? I don't know the answer to that question okay. yet. He hasn't thrown it as much as the breaking ball, but man, that curve mm-hmm. on the twelve-six movement—he made a couple Dayton players look silly, including uh, the Dayton shortstop Edwin Arroyo, which was one of the key pieces coming back for Luis Castillo. He's their number three prospect, and Horton struck him out twice on a couple nasty inside benders right on the hands. That was the best pitch on Wednesday for sure. Brandon, and we've talked a little bit about Kevin Alcantara, one of the top prospects in the Cubs system. Only 20 years old playing in high A baseball, so he's playing against older players right now. And I know in the month of May, he's hitting below 175. 
what is going to be the adjustment? What is going what is going to allow him to take off as he continues to get more comfortable in this new league? He's not seeing a lot of fastballs anymore, yeah. Darren, which I think <laughs> you and me could probably both guess. Yeah. And for good reason. I, I wouldn't give him a fastball either. So it, it's just a matter of getting comfortable with hitting the breaking stuff. I mean, Darren, you and I did games together for two years, and we saw a talented prospect come through, be it he hit from the other side of the plate, but named Cole Roeder. And, you know, Cole was 19 at the time, 20 at the time. And um, it, early on in that season, I think he ended up only hitting 224, right, in that championship mm-hmm. year. But you remember the second half he had, and I remember we talked about a couple times on the air, man, he's looking locked in. And that was July, August, September. So he made the adjustments. I know Paul McAnulty helped him out a lot. You know, having Buddy as his manager really helped too. So, um, yeah, I know Kevin is getting the best coaching possible with Dan Puente, the Cubs hitting coach, who is you know literally a disciple of Justin Stone, the Cubs director of hitting. Puente and Stone worked together all throughout their upbringing. So, uh, you know, Dan Puente works very closely with the brass of the Cubs hitting department. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just a matter of getting comfortable with the breaking stuff. And, you know, once he's able to lock into that, you know, what we saw from Marauder towards the back end of that 2019 season, Cole really started to go off. So, um, you know, just some adjustments and some patience. I'm sure you'll see the same from Alcantara, but also he only has six walks. So uh, yeah. probably getting a little more patient at the plate too. Um, you know, that'll help him in the long run. One more really quick, just on this subject, and I'm not comparing talents, but the way the season unfolded, am I right to say that even Pete Crow Armstrong got off to a slow start in South Bend last year, but then really picked it up in the second half? He did. And kind of the same thing. Pete got more patient as we went. Yep. I think it's very easy for hitters, Darren, when they come here, especially now that South Bend is a high A team, it could probably be very easy for high end prospects, especially to kind of just want to blow the doors off and, <laughs> yeah. you know, get the double A as quick as possible, which I get, I totally get, but you know, their ticket to double A is going to be being patient at the plate and waiting on their pit. So yeah, I mean, Pete really started to go off around the 4th of July. So hopefully the same could be said for Alcantara later this summer. All right, South Bend taking on Dayton at Four Winds Field tonight at 7.05. I'm betting a big crowd will be on hand. We've got the game for you here on WSBT Radio. Max Toma will have the play-by-play, and we'll get the pregame started in about, oh, 25 minutes or so here on WSBT Radio. BK, thanks for doing this, and enjoy the greatest spectacle in racing. I've been to it once. I sat in between the first and second corner. I'll never forget when the race started, and here come – the, you know, 11 rows of three, and I'm thinking, how in the world are they going to turn their cars and not just crash into the wall in front of me? I mean, it, it's it's a sight to behold, and I still remember just gasping the first time I saw that in person. It is like nothing else. I mean, me too, my man. I mean, obviously, I'm not from India originally, so my first race was, as a fan, was in 2016, so I was perplexed by the same thing, and uh, it's, it's cool being around the track on carb day or whatever and, and getting to talk with folks about their first experiences because you meet people that say, hey, you know, I've been coming here since I was eight years old and now I'm 78. You know, um, th- those are the types of stories you hear, and it's a very unique experience, and that's for sure. Someday I will have to tell you about the secret in which the WSBT radio van drove down Gasoline Alley at the conclusion of carb day. I'm not <laughs> sure how it happened. It happened, and I'll give you the full details sometime, all right? Deal? 
I'll look forward to that story, my man. Thanks, DP. We've never been back, so maybe somebody knows something. I don't know. <laughs> hey, have fun this weekend at the 500. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, DP. See ya. All right, that's Brendan King working for WIBC this weekend, helping with the coverage of the Indianapolis 500 and, of course, South Bend Cub baseball broadcaster as well. 621 at WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chased by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. 5-5 rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host. Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT with our Notre Dame Football Week in Review. My name is Darren Pritchett. Let's start off by hearing from Notre Dame Football Beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Tyler Horka, as this week we focused on the 2023 Fighting Irish Defense. Do you believe that the Notre Dame cornerback positions, is that going to be a strength of this Notre Dame football team? Yeah, I know we've talked a lot about the safeties a bunch in the last couple of weeks with the transfers in and some of the different things that are happening at that position. I think when you juxtapose it with the corners and you look at the secondary as a whole, you're absolutely sitting there saying, okay, we feel pretty good about the corners. And then it's, but this is this and that about the safety. So specifically just talking about the corners, absolutely. I don't know if it was on this program, a video, or maybe even I wrote it at blueandgold.com. If Cam Hart stays healthy, that's, that's been a big if. He's had a couple shoulder surgeries in the last couple of years now. But if he stays healthy and you've got Benjamin Morrison on the other side of the field, uh, you could leave those guys out there for however long you want. That's a position where – Obviously, the ball's not coming their way every single play, and if they're really doing their job well, then it's hardly coming their way at all. you got teams trying to attack the middle of the field or, or do different things to stay away from players like Benjamin Morrison, who had six interceptions last year. So, absolutely, I, I think it's a strength, and it's one of those things where you mentioned the on-three rankings. Anytime that you have a guy that's viewed that highly on a national scale, I mean, we're talking the third-best cornerback in the nation, according to these on-three rankings, that's pretty darn good. And if you have that guy on your team, it automatically elevates just the overall perception of that position group, just looking at that position group alone. So, and, and here's another big if, though. He's got to replicate. He doesn't have to replicate. He doesn't have to get six interceptions again next year. But you don't want the sophomore slump. And I think that's a position where you've seen it recently, even at Notre Dame. I mean, Clarence Lewis played a whole lot as a freshman. I, think, I want to say that was the 2020 season. 2021, he was, you know, kind of in and out of the rotation and got picked on a little bit. So I'm not saying Morrison's going to be that guy, but obviously he'd like him to be more so the guy than he was last year because if that's the case, then going all the way back to your original, the point of your original question, mm-hmm. absolutely. You have a lot at the cornerback position for Notre Dame. Well, you know, with multiple wide receiver packages being a big part of college football, now you need a lot of depth. You also need a a guy at the nickel spot that can handle the run game but also be outstanding in coverage because you're in the middle of the field. 
you got to worry about which direction the receiver is going to go. So the nickel is a challenging position. How well prepared are the Irish at the nickel position for the start of the year? I think it's going to be a little bit of trial and error at that position. I honestly do because you had Tariq Bracey last year, and you knew pretty early on, okay, yeah, this guy is the dude at that position. You mentioned run stopping. I thought he was excellent at that. Uh, you've got some guys who are candidates at nickel for Notre Dame this year. Thomas Harper, the Oklahoma State transfer. I mentioned Lewis. He was playing there a lot in the spring. Uh, the depth on the outside with Cam Hart not being able to play uh, most of the spring. Uh, and even Christian Gray going down with an injury in the spring. You had to move Jaden Mickey back to the outside a little bit. I mean, there was a point last year where everyone was saying, yeah, that's the future at the nickel spot for Notre Dame. So I think, you know, when everyone is completely healthy, he's absolutely an option to play there too. But you have all these options, but you don't have a guy like Tariq Bracey that's kind of proven it and, and kind of taken that spot, uh, stranglehold of it, and said, yeah, this is mine, and, and I'm going to play here most of the year. You don't have that situation yet, but what you do have is a lot of guys. And you're not going to see, I guess, in the in, I mean, in the run stopping, I think Notre Dame actually did play a lot of nickel against Navy last year. So mm-hmm. just keeping, you know, specifically about the uh, the season opener, you, you kind of want that five defensive back look, spread, spread it out a little bit, have people filling those running lanes. You're going to find out a lot about who can be a run stopper at nickel in that game. But definitely by the Ohio State game with all the wide receivers that they have on that team, you want, you want to know who is that guy. And thankfully for Notre Dame, they have four games to figure that out before the Buckeyes this year. And see, this all comes back to the ability of the Notre Dame front to get pressure on the quarterback because Morrison and Hart and Harper and whoever else you want to say, they can be great, but asking those great players to cover a wide receiver for multiple seconds it is a very very difficult task so you don't want to waste these really good guys you got on the outside by a pass rush that can't get after it and that's still where I'm kind of holding my breath right now Tyler heading through the summer into the start of the year not so much against Navy that's a different style of football and Tennessee State but when you think about going down to Raleigh to take on NC State Ohio State you know right around the corner after that that pass rush is going to have to be really good, or that's a lot of stress on some really good players at corner. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and that's another position where – not position, but just the pass rushing in general. And if you want to put a position label on it, the defensive ends, you know, there's a lot to be determined there. I mean, Jordan Botello is their leader to start at Viper. He's a guy that hasn't proven it in his career yet. I mean, he showed the flashes last year. Can he do that over the course of an entire season? Really over the course – of an entire game. You don't want your pass rush to be invisible for series at a time. That's when points start getting thrown on the board against offensive like this, especially against a team like Ohio state. So absolutely pass rush is going to be paramount. I know we talked about Devonte John Batiste last week. He's another guy that, you know, he's going to have, he's going to have to prove it to me. I mean, he was a really solid depth piece at uh, Ohio state, but Notre Dame is kind of asking him to be a guy, a dude, the guy. So can he be that? You know, can he consistently live in the backfield? Uh, these are some big questions for the Notre Dame defense, for sure, kind of across the board. And it's going to be an interesting season from that perspective. All right, one more question for you as we wrap up our conversation with Blue and Gold's Tyler Horka. This was a Twitter question of the day this week online. Irish fans are answering this question. I'd like for you to take a shot at it. All right, mm-hmm. so after Notre Dame plays one of those big showdown matchups, 
the following week, that game, is there a game that you would consider a leading candidate to be a trap game? Your three choices after Notre Dame takes on Ohio State at home, you have to travel to a much-improved Duke football team with their quarterback back. Or you've got Phil Jerkovic and Pittsburgh coming to town after USC. And your third choice, a reunion for Sam Hartman as Wake Forest team comes in after Notre Dame goes to Death Valley to take on Clemson. So Duke, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, which could be the most dangerous trap game after a major showdown? I think it's Duke. And there's a lot that goes into that answer, obviously, but I mean, Ohio, you have to look at the first month, month plus of the season for Notre Dame. That is going to be an absolute grind. I mean, you go overseas, then you come home for a true, for a home game. Then you're on the road for a true road game, which NC state is not going to be a pushover. I mean, they just added Brennan Armstrong and he's reuniting with his old Virginia offensive coordinator. So all of these games are pretty tough early on. And then you have the Ohio state game. And, which is going to be, you know, tough in itself. I mean, that, that's, that's going to be a doozy right there. And I just think getting to Duke specifically, just talking about them, you mentioned the quarterback who's very highly viewed. I think he's going to have a good year. He had a great year last year. He's kind of tough to contain. He can use his legs a little bit too. And then you have a head coach in Mike Elko who yeah. has shown, hey, I'm going to go to Duke and, and we're going to win at Duke, which is pretty hard to do. Not a lot of people have done it in the past. I look at coach-quarterback combinations being one of the most important things that you can look at just when you're talking personnel and the coaching staff. How good is your head coach? How good is your quarterback? If both of those things are, you know, check, check in the green, then you're looking pretty good. And Notre Dame has to go to those guys after playing what is going to be a highly emotional, tough, really hard football game against Ohio State. So, when you look at it just at Duke and then you look at the circumstances leading into that, I think that's the runaway answer. That was Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, Tyler Horka. I'm Darren Pritchett. I also spoke this week with Blue and Gold's Kyle Kelly, Notre Dame football recruiting reporter. A very busy week for Fighting Hours football recruiting. Katie, Texas football program is going to bring one heck of a football player to the Fighting Irish edge rusher, Logan Thomas. I know on three, which is tied into Blue and Gold Illustrated, lists Logan Thomas as a four-star recruit. Looking at his video clips, this guy looks like a a player that's going to translate very well to the college game with his already pretty impressive pass rushing moves. So offer a little perspective, Kyle, on the talents of Logan Thomas, and why do you think the Irish were, like a lot of other teams, very interested in his services? Yeah, this was a uh, big get for Notre Dame. Um, on three, we have him as the uh, number 101 overall player, the number nine edge rusher in the country, and number 23 player in Texas. So, yeah, super big pickup for the Irish anytime you're getting a uh, top 10 edge rusher in the entire class. And then uh, one of the best pass or players overall in Texas. So, just overall on the surface, the recruiting one was great uh, for Notre Dame. Then you start to dive in a little bit deeper to Logan Thomas and um, kind of learn about his background and you know his recruitment. And you know, in talking to Logan Thomas, one of the things that really stuck out to me was just he's like a Notre Dame type kid. He's very well spoken, um, great academic kid. 
just one of those guys that you know is going to be a great fit um, attending the University of Notre Dame. Then you flip on the film and you see a guy that plays like he was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> he is uh, super fast. Um, he's a guy that runs in the uh, four fives in the 40-yard dash and you know has a lot of these um, power five programs coming after him from the south. And a lot of teams really got involved after he uh, won the MVP at the All-American Bowl National Combine down in San Antonio. And that event usually um, carries a lot of the key underclassmen um, from across the country at that combine. And Thomas came away with the award for the top overall player. So kind of put all those things together, and you're just starting to think, wow, this really is a a really good get for Notre Dame, especially uh, defensive line coach Al Washington. This is pretty much his premier win on the recruiting trail since uh, joining Notre Dame last January. Um, he certainly, Logan Thomas, has the highest rating out of any uh, commit Al, Al Washington has gotten. And, uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of great qualities that he's going to be bringing to the uh, Notre Dame roster come 2024 season. Kyle, it sure seemed like throughout this recruitment, Notre Dame was in a really good position. But I think their position improved a whole lot when all of a sudden he showed up last week. And that was probably a sign to you that Notre Dame was going to get this guy. Yeah, that was huge. I I mean, I kind of felt that Logan Thomas was trending toward Notre Dame after he unofficially visited um, in March. And one thing I had learned is usually sometimes when kids come in for these spring unofficial visits, you know, they're sometimes they have a spring break, but oftentimes, you know, they're just in and out for a day or two. Thomas actually spent three whole days in South Bend spending time with the Notre Dame staff on an, on an unofficial visit. And right away, that kind of put my antennas up. And Logan told me he was officially visiting Notre Dame in June. I expected him to see maybe Oklahoma, Texas Tech, A&M on official visits as well. And then, you know, Mike Singer and I come to find out a, a couple of weeks ago that Logan's actually returning to Notre Dame for another multi-day unofficial visit hmm. on his own dime. Uh, to come see Notre Dame in May. And right away, that's like, that's just a big indication there that Notre Dame is probably in a really good spot for him. Um, Certainly kind of appeared like he was trending that way. So once we learned that Logan Thomas was getting on campus for another multi-day long unofficial visit, uh, I I think we kind of expected that this was Notre Dame's recruitment to lose. But um, it was still a really great job by the entire coaching staff and especially Al Washington, to secure this commitment um, coming out of this weekend and making sure that Logan Thomas wasn't going back to the state of Texas, still intrigued by some of the schools down south. He is Kyle Kelly, Notre Dame football recruiting reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Since we're talking edge rushers, you might as well tease a story you have up right now because it seems like Kyle Notre Dame isn't satisfied just bringing in one elite pass rusher. And I think there's an outside chance they might have the ability to bring in a second high-end edge rushers very soon. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's certainly been edge rusher week over on uh, <laughs> Blue and Gold, and I actually wrote about two elite um, edge rushers uh, today over there, um, the first one being uh, – five-star edge rusher from uh, Tucson, Cell Point, um, K-8 
Catholic down in Arizona. He's a guy that's unofficially visited Notre Dame twice. He'll be officially visiting Notre Dame uh, next month. And then I also wrote um, another story about four-star edge rusher um, Malachi Williams from Philadelphia, Monsignor Bonner. He unofficially visited Notre Dame for the Blue Gold game, and he'll also be back on an official visit next month. Um, Those are two guys that Notre Dame uh, really likes. Uh, Al Washington was out on the the road um, earlier this spring and visited both of their high schools, and he's made them a priority. And both of those recruits have told me as much they're feeling like um, a priority for Notre Dame. And I think that between the two, the one big one from that group is Elijah Rushing. He has close to 40 Power 5 offers. Um, on three, we have him ranked within the top 50 prospects in the class. He is an excellent player. There's no surprise why so many of these Power 5 schools like your Ohio State and Clemson's and Oregon's are all chasing after him and prioritizing, prioritizing him and Notre Dame is just, gosh, they have pushed so hard for him over the last year and um, put themselves in such a great position to to get an official visit. But that's going to be a super competitive recruitment. He's also visiting Oregon and Tennessee. Um, He's going to be at UCLA this weekend. He's also going to be making two summer visits to Arizona where his brother is a walk-on football player. So then state school is trying to keep him there. Um, Notre Dame is trying to pull him away using the you know Catholic school connection and um, a lot of different other um, variables to, to see if they can get him out of the Arizona area and bring him to South Bend. And I detailed and kind of explained that um, all in my story this morning. And uh, with Malat, uh, Malachi Williams, not a whole lot to add there. He's a pretty quiet and soft-spoken kid. Uh, Penn State, Syracuse, and Pittsburgh our Notre Dame's biggest competition. He'll be officially visiting all four schools in June, but I think this is shaping up to be a Notre Dame-Penn State battle for him. That was Kyle Kelly of Blue and Gold Illustrated. Sports Beat continues next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 